But again, we are in week seven. You just need to see. Giving a quick recap, as I always do, because we always have uh, newer people coming into the house, and I want to make sure that we're all on the same page. We are in the study of Revelation. Revelation coming from the word apocalypto, uh, and the American word meaning apocalypse. We get that word apocalypse, and we think it means destruction, but we actually see that it, what just happened? We, we actually see that it means uh, the revealing of. Thank you. We actually see that it means the revealing of. It is the revealing of Jesus. The revealing of Jesus. Basically, can we turn this down a little bit? There's some ringing going on, man. Um, basically, what's going on in the context of Revelation is that the church is starting to show that it's very significant in this time, that the church actually has power. And when the church has power and the people and the world starts to see that the church is moving some things, the government likes to shut the church down. And the way they shut the church down is they start with the leadership. So in this time, what they do is they're starting to kill off the apostles because they figure if they can cut out the, the apostles, if they can cut out the leaders, they can kill the church. Matter of fact, that's why actually we have our idea of what church is today. Because the reason people have become limited in their teaching is because they took scripture, rewrote it to fit their cause. We have what we call the King James Version written to limit us and we have denominations and we have theologies written to limit us. So people think there's no such thing as spiritual gifts. People think we can't walk in authority. People live in the theology of God's in control and he does all of it and we have nothing to do. So people walk in a lifestyle of we have no responsibility and we wonder why nothing's changing. People love to take away responsibility when it comes to a lifestyle with God. So the government is trying to take out the apostles. And really, that's the way a lot of churches are built today. They become reliant on one man. So when the preacher doesn't give a good word, they blame the preacher instead of a lack of a lifestyle of their own devotion. Right? So they're killing out the apostles. Well, they try to take out John. And John survives. They boil him alive. He survives, so they put him on the island of Patmos in exile, and he survives. So he's on the island, and he has this vision from God. And God says, I need you to write some letters to seven churches in the Roman province of Asia. And John has this vision of seven lampstands with Jesus in the middle of the seven lampstands. And the reason Jesus is in the middle of these seven lampstands is because, again, on the cross, he gives three famous words, it is finished. I don't know what this ringing is, Brandon, but you got to fix it, buddy. I don't know if there's a mic on or something, but it is finished. So he's in the middle of the lampstands because he says, church, you need to reveal me to the world. You are the light of the world. And me being in the middle of the lampstands, I've got to make sure that you're, you are burning as bright as you can. And in order for you to burn as bright as you can, I'm going to encourage you in some things and I need to correct you in some things. 
So he starts writing these letters to the churches. In the first church, he says, church at Ephesus, you've got a lot right, except you've got one important thing wrong. You've left first love. You've fallen out of love with me, and you have fallen out of love with each other. Big problem with the church. You either fall out of love with Jesus, and you're just going through the motions because you want people to see that you're doing good stuff, or you're doing a lot of good stuff, but the people in the house can't stand to be with each other when they do the good stuff together. I know y'all ain't never been a part of a church like that. Then in the second letter, the church of Smyrna, they're being persecuted. They're poor. And Jesus says, I see that you're being persecuted and that you're poor. They're taking away your resources for good reasons because they see that you're the church. But you got a problem. You're afraid. You need to stop being afraid and remember who you serve in the midst of your persecution. Stop being afraid, church, that gas prices are going up. Oh, I got real. Stop being afraid that the person you wanted to get in presidency didn't get in there. Stop being afraid that all this stuff is happening that you don't want to. Stop being afraid and remember who you serve. Okay? Third letter, Church of Pergamon. They were loyal in what was called Satan's dominion, Satan's city. But he says, you've got a problem too. You've tolerated too much sin. You've been preaching a perverted message called the grace message. You preach a message saying grace covers sin and you can live however the hell you want. Literally. And that's what goes on in America. You're covered in the blood, live how you want, because in the end, God's going to tell you all your sins and you're getting to heaven. And I've said it every week, but I'm going to say it over and over because we need to get this in our DNA. Grace does not excuse a lifestyle of sin and debauchery. Grace says at one time you had to get the only the priest could get into the presence of God one time of year in a physical temple and grace made you born unto right standing with me so that you could become the temple that I dwell in so you have access to me 24-7. That's what grace does. And by that grace, you need to live in that right standing and honor the fact that I'm in your temple. Okay? Then the fourth letter, the church, is this all right? This is already good. The fourth letter, the church of Thyatira, they're increasing in love. Thank you, Brandon. You did awesome, by the way. Increasing in love, faith, service, patience. They were increasing all this good stuff. But it says they allowed the Jezebel spirit to get into the ranks and start teaching. False prophets and false teachers. If you've ever been in a charismatic church, if they have a notion that there's a Jezebel spirit or a python spirit or whatever you want to call it spirit, every, they, they got all kinds of names for spirits these days. We love to blame the enemy. The enemy got in. Spirits got in. But Jesus didn't talk to Satan saying, why are you in my church? Who did he talk to? Church leaders. You allowed that thing to get in my house. Because he did not make demons or Satan the gatekeepers. 
He said, I have given my sons and my daughters who I've adopted through my blood the authority to be my gatekeepers. And if something got in the house, it ain't because I allowed Satan in or I allowed demons in. It's because you were not keeping watch and you permitted it. And what happens in the church is we put people in leadership too quick because we want to keep them, we want to get them tithing, and we want to grow a church. And if they talk good, they look good, they can wear skinny jeans, we'll put them on a platform to gain the millennials. <laughs> and half of them don't even know who the heck Jesus is, and they preach a message that rubs the, the, you know, the backs of, all, of anyone that will hear a good message, and they'll come to church thinking they're getting truth, when really they're getting a false doctrine that says live however you want, and they're not hearing the stuff that they need to hear. That's where the church is becoming, and it's becoming infiltrated with all this demonic stuff, and no one sees it. That's just my excuse for not being able to fit in the skinny jeans anyway. <laughs> Amen. <laughs> then last week, we talked about, we recording? Good Lord. Then last week, we talked about the church of Sardis. It said they looked alive but they were dead. They were doing all the church stuff. They had their services. They had their small group programs. They had their teaching plans. They had their app. They looked alive, but they were dead. How did they know they were dead? They had no warfare. Nothing was trying to take them down. Nothing was coming against them. If you are a believer and the enemy ain't threatened by you, You've got some inventory to take because you might not have any inventory in the house. Mm. You, you, you got us, am I, he says, put on robes of righteousness that I purchased. You see, in the church, we tend to have polar opposite theologies. We have the once saved, always saved, and then we have the, the Calvinist view of there's an elect. You know what the issue is in all of it? It takes out the, the sanctification. It takes out the personal responsibility. Because we love to get under a theology of, I'm saved, I don't have to do nothing, I'm going to go to heaven one day. And what we do is we live how we want without any sort of self-sanctification of, let me put on robes of white and get the dirtiness off of me as I live. Because we say, well, I'm already going to heaven. I've got nothing to do. And Jesus says, I didn't say you finished. You need to be continually transformed by the renewing of your mind. Continually transformed. Your flesh will never be saved. That's why the Bible says when I bring down the new Jerusalem, I'm going to put your spirit I'm going to put your renewed, saved soul in a new body. Come on, skinny jeans. <laughs> Dang. <laughs> mm. So, man, we're having a good time in church today. So we've got these five letters, and then we come today into letter number six. 
Revelation 3, verse 7. Write this letter to the angel of the church in Philadelphia. Finally, we got a name we can pronounce. This is the message from the one who is holy and true. The one who has the key of David. It was my birthday yesterday. I turned 19. And, and, and I, got a, I got a, they didn't know what I was preaching on, but they gave me a, a key. We're going to get into that later. The one who has the what? The key. Who has the what? The key of David. What he opens, no one can close. And what he closes, no one can open. Philadelphia was the youngest of the seven cities. Its original purpose was it was to be the center for spreading the Greek language and the Greek culture throughout the province of Asia. In fact, the name Philadelphia means brotherly love. It was literally a city in the middle of a province to, that meant brotherly love to spread their culture throughout an existing Asian culture. They, the, the city was put there to say, let's spread our Greek culture throughout Asia. It was designed to do that. Philadelphia was a very prosperous city. In fact, it commanded a roadway that went from Europe all the way to the, to the eastern side of Asia. It, it was a roadway that it was literally a gateway from one continent to another. So literally, Philadelphia had control over a gateway, a road that went through the entire continent from Europe to Asia, and their whole purpose and position was to spread a new culture. Philadelphia was known for beautiful buildings. They, they, they made these beautiful uh, tall pillars and beautiful structures. And in fact, it, Philadelphia had a nickname. They called it Little Athens. Because it was a reminder of ancient Greece where they held all the uh, 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 um, uh, Olympi Olympiads and all that kind of thing. I don't know what they're called. Olympics. I don't know. Those things. Ancient Greece. One reason they had this nickname is because Philadelphia had frequent earthquakes. So when they had these frequent earthquakes, just like ancient Greece, a lot of times all that would stay standing was the pillars. You ever seen pictures of the, the Roman Colosseums and, and all those? You, you, when you go in, a lot of times what you still see is what? The pillars. So it was called Little Athens. And when they would have earthquakes in Philadelphia, the people would have to evacuate the city. So when they would come back in the city, they would just see, well, the pillars are all that remain. So in the city, known as this loving city with beautiful architecture, designed to be the connector from one continent to another to spread their culture, Jesus says, I've got a letter to the church in this city. And he says, I'm going to describe myself to you in a certain way. He starts off by saying, I am holy, I am true. But you do you realize the opportunity we're in in 2021? Because quite frankly, I'm getting tired of the church being the most pessimistic people. Think about what's going on in our culture. Bills are being signed for men to go in girls' bathrooms. 
We've got people leading our medical industry that don't even know if they men or women. Thank God they're in charge. They're trying to create pedophilia as a sexual identity. The church is starting to marry LGBTQHTZFMNL. You can go into Savannah and visit a store that exalts witchcraft. And all the Christians are, I can't believe this is happening. This is horrible. Oh my God. This what's gonna happen? Do you see the opportunity we have? 20 years ago, we were praying generic prayers because we didn't know what the strongholds were. All the hidden stuff is being exposed. Do you see the opportunity? There's no more guesswork. We can hit the target right in the head. I don't even know if that's the right phrase, but nah, I've never shot a bow and arrow. I'm, you know, I'm, I, I, I you know, I ain't, I ain't athletic whatsoever. <laughs> Nail on the head. Nail on the head. Bullseye target. There you go. Yes. We're in a day where we're seeing everything being exposed. Why are we crying about that? We're seeing churches that are being revealed for teaching wrong stuff and siding with sin. Pray into it. It's being exposed. We're seeing the witches being exposed. We're seeing the sorcerers being exposed. We're seeing the leaders expose their corruption. The world is embracing it. This is the best opportunity the church has. The problem is the church don't know what the heck to do with it because leaders aren't equipping the people to steward the days. See the opportunity. See the door. I don't know why I'm yelling. <sighs> and oftentimes God sets the door right in front of us, but we don't see it. Why? Think about it. What defines whether or not it's a door is open or not? We think an open door is this. But what defines whether or not it's a door is open, whether it's locked? So God's got an open door right in front of you, but you define closed as closed. But a closed door could actually be open because it was unlocked by the stewarding of your key. But you don't see the open door because it looks like the world is going to hell. And we got the wrong stuff in office and we got the wrong leaders. It's open, but you see it as closed because you don't see the opportunity. It's open, but you see it as closed. It's unlocked. I, I, I did this at the end of my message last night, but I'm going to do it right here because it's so perfect. This isn't up on the screen. It's like what Jesus says in Matthew chapter 26. 
The king will say to those on his right, verse 34, Come who are blessed by my father, inherit the kingdom prepared for you from the creation of the world. I want to inherit the kingdom of God. You want to inherit the kingdom of God? Yeah, absolutely. Like, talk to me, daddy. What's, what's up? All right, well. <laughs> so how do I inherit it? Well, for I was hungry, you fed me. I was thirsty, you gave me a drink. I was a stranger, you invited me to your home. I was naked, you gave me clothing. I was sick, you cared for me. I was in prison, and you visited me. And then these righteous ones will reply, Lord, when did we ever see you hungry or feed you or thirsty, give you something to drink? When did we see you as a stranger or show you hospitality? When did we ever see you naked and give you clothing? When did we ever see you sick or in prison or visit you? And the king will say, I tell you the truth, when you did it for the least of one of these brothers and sisters, you were doing it for me. It's a door, but you won't walk through it because you just see it as someone who don't deserve it. Or you see someone in a leadership role that you think don't deserve it and you curse them instead of praying for them because you don't see it as a door and opportunity. Pray for those who, and bless those who persecute you. Americans are being so persecuted, the church is being persecuted. Well, he's told you what to do. Do you see the opportunity? I don't know why I'm in a funk. I don't know why I've got all the stuff coming against me. When will the inheritance of heaven be unlocked over my life? Do you see the opportunity? I've told you. Bless those who persecute you. Pray for your enemy. You're calling out this thing as your enemy, and you've been given how to handle it, but you won't do it because you don't see the door right in front of you. Because pride exalts itself before the fall. <laughs> Jesus says to them, you know the reason you're able to walk through the door? And then he describes to her in the key. He says, you've got little strength. You've kept my word and you don't deny me. You know what he's talking about little strength? He says, when you're weak, I'm strong. He says, you've recognized that you can't do this without me. You've kept my word, and you don't deny me. We've been talking about the remnant, the people of God who are left, who are in that category of, we recognize that we can't do this. We can strategize all day, but if we don't strategize from a posture of prayer, it means nothing. Our intellect is not above God's. If we're called to renew our mind, why are we trying to outsmart the Holy Spirit? <clears throat> Don't deny my word. Well, that was sin back then. Right? Don't deny me. You're doing this stuff. He, he, he says, I'm completely pleased with you, Church of Philadelphia. All you've got to do is see what's set before you. You just need to see. 
And then in verse 9, look, is this all right? Yes. Y'all bored yet? Hey, good. If you are, we're going to have a salvation call. I'm just kidding. Verse 9. Y'all supposed to laugh at that. Wow. Verse 9. <laughs> look, I will force those who belong to Satan's synagogue, those liars who say they're Jews but are not, to come and bow down at your feet. They will acknowledge that you are the ones I love. The context of what's going on right here is that Christians are being persecuted by Jewish people in the synagogues, worshiping God, but they're Jews by name only with no connection to Jesus. It's the same thing as what's going on today. There are Jews who are fervently praying for the Messiah. And Jesus is like, you're my people only by name. You've got no connection to me because I came and you missed it. And you know what's sad is you have so many people that worship false gods and you've got Jewish people who are doing all the right things and miss Messiah and they're better at seeking a God that's already come than we are at having a relationship with the one that we say we know. And isn't that what goes on in church today though? We shift focus so easily when we get persecuted by people in the church who call you crazy. We get persecuted at people in the church who say that you're off or your beliefs are off or I can't believe you left this and went for that. I, I can't believe you're embracing that thinking and embracing that theology. You actually agree with that. Jesus says, I'll deal with them. You won't see your door because you're still focused on what they're saying about you. You get so hung up on what your family and your friends and your coworkers say that you won't see the doors I put in front of you because all you see is their words. He says, they're going to recognize exactly who you are. They're going to recognize that they're wrong and they will acknowledge their love is a false love and an empty love. You know what the Bible says about unbelievers coming into church meetings and hearing prophecy and exhortation? <clears throat> Look at this in 1 Corinthians 14. <clears throat> Verse 24, But if all of you are prophesying, and unbelievers or people who don't understand these things come into your meeting, they'll be convicted of sin, judged by what you say, and as they listen, their secret thoughts will be exposed, and they'll fall to their knees, worship God, declaring God truly hears among you. Why are you worried about what they think? He said, I'll take care of that. That's the Holy Spirit's job, not yours. Your job is not to convince. Your job is not to justify. You seek me. You seek my presence. You focus on me so that you can see doors of opportunity. I'll take care of the rest. Judgment's not a bad thing. He says, they will be convicted of sin and judged by what you say. Their incorrect thoughts will be brought before the judgment seat of you as a king with a, in, a, in a robe of righteousness and authority in the room. And it will be weighed as either truth or false. And when they realize it's not truth, it says they will bow down and say, God's here. 
and they'll come into agreement with it. That's why we can't be ashamed to be a little different and a little weird. And we laugh at that, but it's even in Scripture. You will be aliens and strangers unto this world. And sometimes the world is the church. Because Jesus was an alien and strangers to the Pharisees and priests of the church. Verse 10. Because you have obeyed my command to persevere. Because you have obeyed my command to persevere. I will protect you from the great time of testing that will come upon the whole world to test those who belong to this world. He says, you have persevered and you have endured and you have stayed true. Past tense. Because you have done this as a lifestyle, you have my protection. We all love to pray for protection in the middle of when we need protection. When stuff come against you, Lord, protect me. What if we pattern our life in such a way where we sought him to such a degree where because of that pattern and lifestyle of perseverance, we had no need to ask for protection because, of, because when we have a life of perseverance in him, we know there's a promise of protection that we never have to ask for. But many are not convinced of that because you have no relationship and lifestyle. So when it comes, you're responsive to a God who you have no relationship with. And you say, please God protect me. And what you're really saying is, have grace on the fact that I don't know you. If you want to get real. That's that gut punch I'll talk about sometimes by the Holy Spirit. And we're all guilty of that at times. He says, because you have persevered, because you have endured, I will, I, you will be protected. Philippians 3, 17 through 20. Dear brothers and sisters, pattern your lives after mine. Learn from those who follow our example. I've told you often before, and I say it again with tears in my eyes, there are those whose conduct shows they are really enemies of the cross of Christ. They're headed for destruction. Their God is their appetite. They brag about shameful things and they think only about this life here on earth. But we are citizens of heaven where the Lord Jesus Christ lives and we're eagerly waiting for him to return as our Savior. You want to know how to tell where you really think your citizenship is? Take an inventory of where your mind tends to land in your thought processes. If all you're trying to figure out is what's going on in this world, do you really understand where your citizenship lies? I, we are in the world, but not of the world. I know that we have to understand what's going on because I, I don't agree with, with the passive notion of we don't need to know because I believe we need to know to be effective. But to get caught up in it is the issue. When it becomes so overwhelming that it consumes your thought life. 
And it begins to cause panic and fear when the only one you should fear is the Lord. Your citizenship is in heaven. It changes the way you live. It changes the way you pattern your life. And the church has become situationally responsive. And because of that, it's difficult to see open doors because our focus is in our need rather than in the provider of every need. If we were patterning our lives after him, we wouldn't be responsive. We would recognize our citizenship and therefore be ready to see doors of opportunity in any situation of life. Any. No more of this woe is me, I'm not worthy, I can't serve, I can't do this, I can't walk in my destiny, I've messed up too much, God doesn't have favor on me. Open your eyes. You are judging God's favor on you by a worldly citizenship. The world and your mess ups cannot close doors and it cannot open doors. The only one that does that is him and he's basing that off of how you steward your keys that he bought for you that you never had a right to. And when we don't do that, and I said this last night and I'll say it again. And when we don't recognize our citizenship in heaven and pattern our lives before him and steward the keys well, we start to try to use our worldly thinking and our citizenship of our mind of the world and try to use logic as to why heavenly things aren't working. And that's why we get false teaching and false prophecies to justify we're not seeing supernatural. That's why people say there's no such thing as spiritual gifts. That's why people say we can't see that, we can't see this, we can't call down this from heaven, we can't call down that from heaven, we can't see prophecy ain't real, you got it wrong, you got this, you got that. We're trying to classify heavenly citizenship with a fallen worldly citizenship. And you need to know that so that you can guard your heart and guard your mind with what you allow into your temple. Verse 11. I'm coming soon. Hold on to what you have so that no one will take away your crown. What are you, what are you holding on to? The opportunity that you've refused to see? so that no one will take away your crown. The Bible speaks of crowns in heavens. The crown referred to here is the crown of victory. He said, don't let anyone steal that crown of victory to walk through open doors that only I have allowed you to open or that only I have opened and allowed you to walk through. And you know what? A lot of times you know the people that steal the crowns? Yourself. Because you won't see the opportunity. Do you realize the victory that you could have of walking out of regret and into the opportunity of freedom? Or walking through the opportunity of a call into ministry? And ministry does not mean working for the organization called church. Ministry is whatever you're called to do. It could be starting up a business. It could be working for a business. It could be a pastoral calling. It could be simply fathering a, a, a person. It could, whatever Your ministry is what you're called to do. I am sick and tired of this, you're the pastor and I'm the layperson. No. We are all sons and daughters of God. There is no such thing as reverend and lay people. 
We're all the people of God. I'm not above you, and you're not under me. There's an honor. There's all that. But we are all of people on the same plane with different giftings. What is mine? I'm called to empower you, to equip you. And you're called to do things that I can never do and that I can never dream of. We've got to get out of this corrupted thing that the world has called church and walk back into what he has called it. And there's going to be scoffers and there's going to be people that say that that's not right. And I'm just going to say, well, you do your thing and I'm going to walk in the Bible. Because you can have thousands of people and y'all can have millions of dollars and I'll take 20 people and see people get healed of COVID while you wear your mask. I don't need resources because my citizenship is in a place where I have unlimited resources. Verse 12. Do y'all remember the thing about Philadelphia? It was famous for having many earthquakes. And the only thing that stood after earthquake was what? All who are victorious will become. All who are victorious will become pillars in the temple of my God. And they will never leave it. Why did he say that? Because people in Philadelphia, when there was an earthquake, what did they have to do? Evacuate. I love God. He said, all these people, they have to leave when the earthquake comes. But you, I'm going to make you like a pillar. You're unshakable. When the world gets shaken and everything crumbles around you, you're going to stand immovable in me. And while everyone else is running, trying to find shelter, you're going to stand immovable in the shelter of the Most High. You ain't going to have to leave. You stand grounded in me. And I will write on them the name of my God. You know why he does that? Because when the name of God is imprinted on you, when you walk right through the door of opportunity, it says demons fear and tremble at his name. So when his name is on you, why are you getting worried about a bump in the night? Why are you getting worried about where you're walking through? Oh, I don't want to be around there. There's so much darkness. Well, how about you let the light of God expel it as you walk through? Because your name is written. You know why I don't get scared of walking through places downtown? Because I know what's written on me. I know that the moment I, I can say this with absolute confidence, I can walk right in the middle of an occult shop and all authority that was in that shop before I walked in goes away because of what's written on me. And you have it. But do you see the opportunity. I'm 
I'm going to close with this. I got two more scriptures. I'm going to start closing right here. Romans 8.38. I hope this has been encouraging today. I am convinced that nothing can ever separate us from God's love. Nothing. Your past can't close your doors. Your present can't close doors. Who can close doors? Only God. Who opens the doors? Only God. Neither death nor life, angels or demons, not fears of today or worries about tomorrow, not even the powers of hell can separate us from God's love. Stop dwelling on things that cannot separate you. And if you would stop dwelling on things that can't separate you, it'd be a lot easier to see the doors right in front of you. And the last scripture, and we'll close with this, verse 13. Anyone with ears to hear must listen to the Spirit and understand what he is saying to the churches. This message is for all of us. If we would see the door in front of us, rely on his strength, Know that he will take care of all who do wrong to us and mock us, protect us and preserve us. The only thing we need to be concerned about is walking in the pattern of life that he has set before us. If we would do that, we would see doors that he opens because of the way you pattern your life as a keeper of the keys. You've got a purpose. You've got a calling. Walk into it. And we'll change the world. Amen.